That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. From the newsroom to the nursery. We're juggling a demanding career on live television with the demands of motherhood. I'm Katie. I'm Karen. And I'm Ingrid. They are anchor moms. Hey, welcome to another episode of Anchor Moms, the podcast. You guys, this is a good one. This is something that I know we've talked about. I know a lot of moms not only talk about, but sometimes struggle with um, infertility. This is something that, um, you know, I think is on a lot of women's minds, whether they're just starting the path to pregnancy or in the thick of it. Maybe they've already had one kid. You know, this is something that really, I think, a lot of women can benefit from this information. Yeah. And, you know, everyone has heard of IVF, but we're not actually talking about IVF in this episode. We're talking about everything before you get to that point. And to be honest, there's a lot more involved than what I thought. Dolly Bird joining us now. Thank you so much for coming on this morning, Dolly. Uh, We wanted to bring you on and talk about some of the big infertility issues that so many women struggle with. Um, But first of all, tell us about your experience, where you work, what you do. Okay, great. Thank you for having me. My name's Dolly Presley Bird. I am a certified nurse midwife. I've been in clinical practice for the past 20 years. Um, the last 15 at Mayhek OBGYN Services here in Asheville. Um, there I have a, I wear a couple of different hats. I'm both, um, in addition to my clinical practice, I'm assistant medical director and director for clinical research for the OBGYN division. Um, and in, re- in addition to my regular clinical duties providing full practice um, care for reproductive women. Um, I've also had some experience um, working with the reproductive endocrinologists at Prague. So thanks for having me here today. Yeah. So tell us kind of, first of all, what are some of the big misconceptions you see um, for women who are starting down this path to try and get pregnant? Um, I would say that probably, um, I don't know necessarily misconceptions. I think with the internet, there is a, there's a lot of information out there. (laughs) And I think sometimes women, um, go down a hole in their own internet research and there is a lot of misinformation and we don't do a good job presenting, um, information in the most evidence-based and, or, um, people don't have, sometimes don't have the best um, experience critiquing what information they see. So I get women that come in um, with varying degrees of health literacy, especially in regards to their menstrual cycle, and they really don't know um, how to time their attempts to get pregnant when their most fertile times of the month are. Um, And I think we've really done a disservice to women and women's health by not better educating them in regards to um, their bodies and their menstrual cycles and how that works. So what are some tips as to how to track that? Um, So typically, um, when I have women come in um, to meet me to talk either about preconception counseling, or maybe they've tried to get pregnant for a few months and haven't had any success, 
Um, and I really start to query and ask them, you know, when are you trying to get pregnant? What do you understand? I try to get a baseline understanding of their body, what they, their understanding of their bodies and their menstrual cycle. But typically women don't know how to count their cycle days. So when your period starts full flow, the first day of your menstrual cycle is considered cycle day one. Um, and then most women, um, if you had the textbook perfect 28-day cycle, which I think less than 10% of the female population <laughs> does, um, typically your most fertile times would probably be somewhere between cycle days 12 or 13 and 16. Um, but women are different and they ovulate in different ways and they kind of need to know that about their bodies to see when they ovulate so that they know when to time intercourse to be most successful. And how do you recommend that women keep track of that? I know I have an app that I use that has been really useful. I know um, some people use ovulation sticks. What are you telling these women who come in and say, hey, uh, help me track this. Help me figure this out. What's your best advice? Um, yeah. So I would say, you know, I'm a little bit older. So I'm a paper and pencil kind of girl with my own paper calendar that works for me. But now with the younger, younger generation, the women that I see that are so tech savvy and tech native, there are a ton of apps out there. And there are some really good ones um, that I've been impressed with. And so I would say the vast majority of my patients bring in their phone. We actually look at their app together um, and peruse that. Some of them do have apps where you can actually upload pictures of your ovulation predictor kits. Um, and so for you, the, for your listeners that don't know, maybe should we say kind of what ovulation predictor kits yes, are? We start we with sure, that? yeah. Okay. So typically an ovulation predictor kit is essentially a test that looks a lot like a pregnancy test that you test your urine. So you pee on this stick, much like a pregnancy test. And typically you should always use either your first or second void of the morning um, and you are going to get um, a result from that. Like a pregnancy test, there are two lines on it. And I typically tell women that one line is the control line. It's always going to turn positive. That assures you that your kit's still good, that it didn't go bad on, your, um, on the pharmacy shelf, um, and that it's working. And then your second line typically is your test line. Now, this is where it differs from a pregnancy test. A pregnancy test, if you get the faintest line on that second line on that pregnancy test, I always counsel women like that's positive. For me, as faint as it is, that is a positive. You can expect in the ovulation predictor kit, it's testing your urine for a hormone that you produce called luteinizing hormone. And you're making that hormone throughout the follicular phase of your cycle. So you're going to see it very faint, a very faint line. So unlike the pregnancy test where the two lines is a definite positive on the ovulation predictor kit, you want to monitor that second line every morning with your first or second void until that test line is equally as dark as the control line. When both lines are equally dark, then you know you have a positive kit, and that's when you should begin um, your attempts, your in, in timed intercourse and attempt to get pregnant. So that yes, it does look a lot like a pregnancy test. In fact, um, I have accidentally, <laughs> um, yeah, bought the ovulation predictors instead of the pregnancy test. Oh, really? <laughs> then, I, then, you, I, then you realize. 
when you when you when you pee on the stick, you're like, wait, this one looks a little bit different. What's going on here? And they're yeah. more expensive than pregnancy tests. So I remember, Karen, I remember when you did that, and you coming back and being like, I thought it was like pricier than than like yeah. what I expected, but whatever. But um, yeah, uh, I think those. So let's say you've been peeing on the ovulation sticks. You've been timing up your sex appropriately to ovulation, and and you're still not getting pregnant, and and folks come to you, Dolly. Uh -huh. What's so then? What's the next step? Um, so the next step, if we've talked about it and they've done all the things, like they're doing their ovulation predictor kits, and and it's key to know whether they're ovulating or not. I think the frustration for a lot of women that I see is they come in with their kit, um, and especially it's helpful if they've had the app where they can upload the photo of their kit. I can actually look at their series. I can look at that whole month's. Um, or that whole session, that whole cycles um, predictor kits to see whether or not they've ovulated. A lot of women come to me with frustration because they never got that equally dark line. Like they have that small amount of luteinizing hormone that they're producing every single day, but they never feel like they get a positive. And it's frustrating for a lot of women. So um, typically I, I try to reassure them that that's still valuable information. I will say the vast majority of women that I see in my practice before I refer to reproductive endocrinology, like to an infertility specialist, the vast majority of women I see um, have polycystic ovaries. And if you have polycystic ovary syndrome, you're producing a little bit of that luteinizing hormone in your urine every day. And so those are the women that always have the faint line that never surges, that never gets dark. So then we start looking, um, after I take a very thorough history, medical history and menstrual history, then typically what we'll do is I'll do an ultrasound. And there's two key times in the cycle where it's super beneficial for women to have um, a pelvic ultrasound. And that is at baseline. So that's at the beginning of their cycle, typically when they're still menstruating on cycle day three, four, or five. And then we can look at their uterine anatomy and the endometrial lining in there to see how that looks. Then we can also assess their ovaries and we look at their ovaries and we actually look at the follicles in their ovaries. The follicles that are in your ovaries contain the egg, the ova that gets released at ovulation. And in a um, normally ovulating fertile female, you would expect um, at the beginning of every cycle to visually see hopefully five to 10 of those follicles per ovary on each side. Um, some women, the women that have the polycystic ovaries, um, have a very classic appearance sometimes, not always, but sometimes on ultrasound. And again, that gives you valuable information. The second time that's beneficial to do an ultrasound, and of course, women, when they come into me for that initial appointment, um, they may not have, they don't know this, they haven't timed the appointment appropriately. But ideally, if we're looking at them either at the beginning of their cycle or mid-cycle, um, is the other ideal time around the time of ovulation. We look at that um, uterine anatomy. We look at their endometrial stripe to see how thick it is. And if it could, um, if their body is preparing um, this thickened endometrium for a lush place for a fertilized egg to implant. And then we look at their ovaries and see if their body has done all the chemical feedback between the thyroid, the pituitary, the ovaries that needs to happen to develop one of those follicles into becoming a major follicle for ovulation. So that gives me a little bit of a key um, from a physiologic standpoint that everything's working in conjunction the way that it should.
And when do you tell your patients that maybe your, their partner should get tested as well? I had that conversation very early on. Um, I talk about it, even if it's not necessarily a strong recommendation. You know, I always query whether or not the partner's father to pregnancy um, you know, how old that child is. I do have a lot of women that have partners that are older or have older or adult children who then the partner has had a medical, developed a medical condition which may impact or cause mm -hmm. male factor infertility or medication, that sort of thing. So we talk about it early on. Now at my office, we don't have the ability to do the semen analysis. So I do send people for, um, I do send the male partner to the reproductive endocrinologist for that test. It's considered like a lab test. They make an appointment. I do have the kits, the specimen kits in my office with instructions that I send my female patients home with. They take to the partner. The partner makes an appointment at a local um, reproductive endocrinology office for this lab appointment. They drop off their specimen and they have the specimen run. But that, that is a conversation you have early on because you don't want to go up down a path assuming that you have... Um, female factor infertility, and especially if you start talking about medication or other interventions that are going to be costly, when a third of all um, infertility issues are male factor. So you really want to make sure that you've considered both male and female factor, and sometimes you're, the, the issue of the infertility is combined both male and female. Wow, I didn't realize a third was due to men. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, when, when do you, um, I know uh, th there's a lot, again, of information out there, but when would you say if someone's trying to get pregnant, doing all the things, when do you press the panic button? Like how long should you wait before you go see your doctor, go see someone like you? Like how long is, is the time period that you feel like until you have to start taking other steps? Yeah, um, so I would say that I would strongly recommend, hopefully, that you have um, an ongoing and therapeutic relationship, either with your primary care physician or your um, OBGYN, that you feel like you can start to talk about preconception planning even before you start. You know, make sure from a nutrition standpoint, from substance exposures, whether that be alcohol or cigarettes or any sort of recreational um, substance, um, or even prescribed medication, um, you wanna make sure that that is safe in pregnancy. So hopefully you've started there um, when you're thinking about you may start to try. The true definition for infertility is considered act if you're under the age of 35, if you've actively been trying to achieve pregnancy without success for one year, that's considered infertility. If you're over age 35, they shorten that time span um, to six months of a trial. Um, and that is because we know that as we age, um, our chances of getting pregnant decrease. So again, there's a lot of factors that go in to answer your question, Karen. Like I um, definitely take an age and medical history, um, menstrual history, that sort of thing. Um, and then typically, if I am working with a woman more um, actively trying to conceive and she hasn't conceived in three to four cycles, then we re revisit um, a strong recommendation maybe for referral out to a reproductive endocrinologist. Six months just does not seem very long to me. 
Yeah. To, to it, then claim infertility after six months. Just seems over like, age 35. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that for a woman in her 20s or her early 30s, her chance of getting pregnant, who's attempting to achieve pregnancy, her chances of getting pregnant any given month is about 25 to 30 percent. But once a woman reaches a little over 35, when she reaches 40, that chance um, of getting pregnant each month decreases to 10% or less. So definitely that shortened time period as the woman approaches um, 40 um, is an opportunity to act um, while, while things are still more optimal. I will say, I tell my patients all the time, you know, men make new sperm every day. You know, that, that's not an issue for them. But women are born with all the eggs in their ovaries that their body's ever going to make. So even when we were in utero in our mother, during our mother's pregnancies, we had all of our eggs in our ovaries that we're ever going to contain. So as we wow. age, that um, quality of the eggs that we produce diminishes, right? Um, our, at, when we're young in our 20s and 30s, our bodies, when, when I talked before about recruiting that um, major follicle, ideally the body's recruiting the best quality um, ova for that month. So as we age, the quality of our eggs sometimes decreases. Anchor Moms is brought to you by Wilderness at the Smokies, the Smokies' largest water park resort. Get out of the house and into the wilderness. So what do you tell uh, women who come in who are over the age of 35, um, pushing 40 in their 40s? Um, because I feel like now in 2021, a lot of women are getting pregnant older, right, mm -hmm. than what they were decades ago or even just a couple of years ago. What do you, what do you tell those women? Um, I really have an individualized discussion. Like it is not one size fits all. So it really depends on. So I guess I should say, you know, some women have secondary infertility. So primary infertility are women that have never conceived or never um, given birth. I do have women. It is quite typical for me to have women that have children with um, a previous partner they have now have established with a new partner who may or may not have children and they decide to have children together and now they're having difficulty. That's called secondary infertility. So I really have an individualized um, conversation with the patient in regards to her hopes to achieve pregnancy, how actively she wants to pursue it, um, and then sort of make the decision there on an individualized basis. But I do encourage women. I offer women that are closer to 40. I do offer um, direct access um, or referral to reproductive endocrinology if that is what they want to pursue. So. Do you, is the secondary infertility common? Um, I don't think it's, I don't see it as much, I, I, I don't know the answer to your question in regards to like incidence or prevalence. Um, I do see it. And again, like I said before, it's typically um, women that have had a big change in either their medical history or um, even sometimes weight gain and, or, um, you know, now they've developed another condition. Um, I don't see it as frequently as I do see primary infertility, mm -hmm. but it does happen. So talk about, you know, I think for a lot of women, it's just, especially as, as Katie said, a lot of women getting pregnant later in life, I feel like mm -hmm. it's kind of this thought of, okay, now I'm ready. 
let's get pregnant. You know, this is the right time for me. This is, this is, this is just going to happen. Can you talk a little bit about that and how there really is so much more, obviously, that goes <laughs> into, into it that you can't, it's not just going to happen immediately when you want it to. Yeah, I and I do think that there is a little bit of misperception out there currently um, when you look at women in Hollywood in their late 40s that are having babies all the time, it kind of skews the perception um, that it happens easily at will whenever. Um, and so I have some women, I will tell you, it is a very individualized um, conversation that can be fraught with angst and anxiety, um, especially for women who've, um, you know, for even myself, like I pursued my education and was established in my career before we decided to have a baby. Um, so I was in my, um, I was in my early thirties, um, but it was a conversation that we had, you know, are we ready? Are we, and, and, I will say, you know, for some women, it, it, they are very fortunate that they get pregnant within the first two or three months. And for some women, it takes four, five, six months. And for those women, especially if they are driven um, and very motivated to achieve, it can be um, very anxiety producing for them when they don't conceive as quickly as they would like. So... And is that something too, that if, you know, I've heard this, that if you're anxious about it and stressing about it, your, your chances are even lower? Um, I don't, I, I, who knows? I'm sure. I definitely think that like there is this total mind body connection. And when I worked with some reproductive endocrinologists, you would, ha I would all the time have women that had had trials of in vitro and had tried very aggressively to achieve pregnancy without success. They decided to take a pause and pursue other options like adoption. And then they spontaneously conceived, you know, so I do think it speaks to that about when your stress level is down or maybe you have redirected your energy that, you know, things happen. I can't tell you how many times I've been in this, I've been in this clinical um, business long enough to know that anything is possible. So I am <laughs> never hopeless. And I see things all the time where I'm like, wow, I saw a patient in clinic yesterday who's now about seven months pregnant. I did her OB visit, but she saw me probably for about a year and a half before she ever conceived in attempts to conceive. And she knew she had polycystic ovary. She knew that it was going to be difficult for her. And she came to see me. We talked about um, different dietary changes, exercise. Like she wanted to be in optimal health before she actively tried to achieve pregnancy. So we worked together probably about six or eight months. Um, and then she tried to spontaneously conceive for about four to five months. We knew she had polycystic ovaries and it would be very difficult for her. So we did do ovulation induction. We did oral medication to stimulate her ovaries. And the first month she did it, she didn't ovulate. I had done some lab tests and we confirmed she did not ovulate. And I was not optimistic. I thought I was going to have to refer her out. And she told me the second month she was going to ovulate, just give her one more month. And sure enough, not only did she ovulate that second month, but she conceived and she's pregnant now. So Aww. yeah. That makes me want to cry. I know. <laughs> I get teary eyed every time I go in the room with her. Yeah. She, it's pretty amazing. That's amazing. 
Mm-hmm. So don't give up is what you're telling yeah. some moms that are struggling a lot right now with getting pregnant. And it can be, as you said, you know, anxiety inducing, um, and emotionally very hard, um, yes. that there's, there's always hope. It sounds like is what you're saying. Yeah. And I will say we do have a wealth of, um, <coughs> uh, clinical, um, counselors in Western North Carolina who do counseling or psychotherapy regarding, um, women with fertility issues. So there are those resources out there and they're invaluable. And two, you know, for folks who are might maybe they've hit that six months, one year mark, um, you know, th- there's things that you can do right um, before you necessarily have to think of in vitro or kind of more extreme steps, right? Sure. Yeah. So in my office, like my comfort level, if I have worked with a woman and, and we decide that she's a candidate for ovulation induction, um, we, I feel comfortable and a lot of providers in the area feel comfortable prescribing oral medications for women that um, cause them, that induce ovulation, that cause them um, to ovulate. And that's perfect. That usually works really well for women who have polycystic ovaries or for some reason are anovulatory. It helps them to ovulate. That's a daily medication that they take just for five days during their cycle. The first part of their cycle, they start either on cycle day three, four, or five. Um, And then it helps their body to recruit that follicle um, to be prepared for ovulation. Now, when you're trying to conceive spontaneously without medication, typically, like I said, your body recruits that one follicle and you get pregnant with one baby. Um, Sometimes the body recruits two follicles. And that is a little bit increased with oral ovulation induction. We typically tell people that it increases their chances of having multiples by 5 to 7%. Because sometimes instead of that one follicle, they'll have two or three follicles that will release egg for that month. Um, so that's an option. The next step, if women don't conceive with oral ovulation injection, induction. They can do injectable hormones. Those are, that's gonadotropin therapy. Um, that typically I, re, I always refer women out to the reproductive endocrinologist because that takes a lot more monitoring, both with blood work to monitor hormones as well as ultrasounds because those women do um, have a greater chance of multiples, even more so than the oral ovulation induction Um, because they recruit a lot of follicles, and sometimes they could be hyperstimulated. So they'll try that. And then the next step usually is IVF. Um, I should say I would be remiss not to mention that for some women, especially if there's male factor involvement or the reason is male factor involvement, some offices, we do not do it um, at Mayhek OB, but some offices will do an intrauterine insemination Um, which is where the um, partner brings in sperm, or you can use donor sperm. Um, A lot of our same-sex couples pursue this option. Um, They use donor sperm, and the sperm is washed and prepped, and then the um, female partner um, 
has a procedure, this intrauterine insemination, where she lays on the table, a speculum is placed, and then a tiny little um, syringe with a plastic catheter tip is used to place the semen, um, the sperm directly up. It bypasses her vagina and her cervix, and it's placed directly in her uterus. So that is um, an option for a lot of women before they pursue, like, IVF. Mm -hmm. Or even surgery for some women. Right, yeah. Some women do have either architectural issues or they have um, maybe fibroids or endometriosis or sometimes women have damage or obstruction of their tubes, their fallopian tubes, that do require surgery before they even attempt conception. So what I hear you saying is, is there's a lot of options. And even if you're just thinking about getting pregnant, um, it's not a bad idea to just come in and maybe talk to your OB just about some of the things that you can start doing right away in anticipation of that. Exactly. A lot of women of reproductive age, typically they don't have a primary care provider, like their OBGYN is their primary care provider um, because they don't have any other medical complications or anything like that. But I do see a fair number of women who do are established with another primary care provider or are on medications for high blood pressure, hypertension, that sort of thing, thyroid medication, and their primary care provider does not know that they want to conceive. And maybe their blood pressure medicine is not safe in pregnancy. So wow. ideally, this would be like a coordinated conversation that they're having with all their care providers about their um, plans to conceive, whether that be in six months, a year or two years, um, especially in a primary care office where they could make considerations if they're managing certain medications for them. Gosh, sometimes do you, like, I, I feel like now just listening to you, I, it's amazing that I have the three children I have. Like, when you think about all that has to happen for these pregnancies to occur, it's crazy. It is crazy. But then, you know, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned or unintended, maybe desired, you know, after the um, fact. Mm -hmm. So it, it certainly does seem unjust for the woman who is trying so diligently and so diligent about her fertility. Um, so you can imagine the emotional toll it has when you consider all the women that achieve pregnancy without even trying. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you is. deal with that emotion with your patients got to be tough. Yeah. 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 Again, I would give a plug for my um, behavioral medicine colleagues who do a lot of incredible um, counseling and psychotherapy around that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, Dolly, Ooh. for all of your information. <laughs> this has been, I mean, we three obviously all have kids, but these I've learned a lot that I didn't know. Um, so hopefully this is information that can help other women as well who are um, perhaps on this path and kind of looking for some answers. So thank you for all of your insight for us today. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. And I appreciate you giving um, this um, issue a platform. So that's so important, I'm sure, for your listeners. So thank you. Indeed. Thank you. Thank Have you a so good much day. for your time. Thanks, Dolly. Okay. Thanks. Bye. 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 Okay, so a lot of good information there. I hope um, if you are thinking about going down the path of pregnancy or you are struggling to get pregnant that you were able to sort of glean some information there. I know I learned a lot of, I thought I knew um, just about everything there is uh, to getting pregnant, but even some of that stuff 
um, surprised me. So we hope you enjoyed that. Um, and just as a follow-up note here on Anchor Moms, we are um, planning to talk to a woman who uh, struggled with infertility and now has a, a baby. So um, we'll sort of get her input on that as well. And that's coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So thanks so much for joining us, guys. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening.